this week, Michael used up all his hairspray, jumped on his motorcycle, and rode to the murder capital of the world, all so we could help a fan by watching The Lost Boys. Welcome back to How Did You Miss This, a show where we drive a stake through the heart of our movie-watching history. I'm Evan Toller-Hickey, and with me as always, Michael Hansen and Krista Shane. And today, we are kicking off a very, very special episode because, one, we are back from September holidays! Woo! Yay! Also, this is the first week of Scaretober, a month where we are doing five horror films in a row and this is also our very first listener requested film i am so excited i am so excited dave from quebec we got you yeah dave and today we are going to be watching 1987 vampire flick, The Lost Boys. This movie has all of the hairspray. This movie has all of the leather. This movie has all of the Corys. So, Michael, you got to tell us, how did you miss this? So I missed this um, because compared to something like uh, Stand By Me or E.T., like, that really, really, you know, resonated with someone like me at my age at that time. This did not. There was nothing about this that that caught me. Like, I, I think this is the wrong movie at the wrong time. I didn't know anything about it. I was not interested. And I just, I, I'd never even raised an eyebrow and just walked away from it. So it didn't even register. Okay. And so, Chris, I mean, you were uh, the same age as I was when this came out, but eight um i'm guessing you didn't see it in theaters but you have seen this before oh yeah i've seen this before i so i grew up with a an old, much older brother who uh very 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 much uh enjoyed horror movies um so i mean this came out in 87 i definitely didn't see it in theaters but uh, i would have seen it on vhs like for sure you know a few years later when it was you know growing in pop popularity and on home uh, home video um i remember seeing this a few times probably around 10, 11, 12, thinking it was a, you know, kind of cool vampire movie, but I probably have not seen it since, you know, like 30 years ago plus. Uh, so I, it, it has definitely been a long time since I've seen it. How about, how about you, Evan? Have you seen this movie before? You know, I have, and I think I'm I'm sort of with you on this. Not that, uh, you know, I have a much older brother that was really into horror films, but I definitely saw this on VHS. I feel like this was a movie I probably watched like just hanging out with friends sort yeah. of thing. And I feel like I may have revisited it maybe sometime in university um, because I I remember it more clearly than I had expected. Expected. But it's certainly it's not a movie that I was, um, you know, seeking out again. And uh, and I'm glad that that uh, Dave was pressured into watching this by his partner and wanted us to, um, you know, take a look at it and and see Ro road test it for him. Well, well, you know, he watched it, too. And and I have some of his thoughts, which oh, I think are better. I think are are kind of similar to ours. That is fantastic. And I, I, I love that we have uh, uh, some listener notes along with just a listener request. I am excited to find out what Dave thought of this. Uh, also, um, potentially Dave's address, depending on uh, what we thought of uh, this movie overall. Uh, but before we get into what we thought, why don't we figure out a little bit about how uh, this movie came to be and where it came from? Um, for me, I found the interesting thing about this movie was that the original idea for this script uh, came together from the idea of basically like, hey, why is Peter Pan forever young and why can he fly? Well, maybe he's a vampire. Uh, so apparently that was kind of the or origin of the idea of this this movie. Uh, I was just this like, well, what if Peter Pan was a vampire? Uh, which, OK, I mean, I get it. That's kind of an a, a appealing idea. That's that's how this thing got uh, kicked off as, a, as an idea for a script. Um, got bought up by Warner Brothers. 
Uh, and then uh, it was sitting in the lap of Richard Donner to make after he'd made Goonies uh, as his kind of like next project. So this this movie was supposed to be uh, a like younger person vampire movie when Richard Donner had come off Goonies, was going to make the next thing. Apparently, Warner Brothers pitched it to uh, Richard Donner as like Goonies with vampires. Um, and. But at a certain point, it took so long to make that uh, he dropped out of uh, making this to go make Lethal Weapon, which I mean, eh, yeah, I, I I think uh, I think we know who showed up on the right side of history there. I actually I'm not sure who showed up on the right side of history there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's that's where um, Schumacher uh, steps in uh, to make this movie. Um, and I mean, basically, in the process of him coming on board, it went from being a, you know, like a, a preteen movie into a, a, an older, sexier, scarier, you know, like teen vampire movie. I saw an interview with him and the number of times he said teen vampire movie about this movie was like excessive in the interview. So I I don't think he could underline that enough that this was a teen vampire movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to me because so you've, you've got James Jeremiah's and and Janice Fisher uh, as a writing team, writing the original script for this. And, and like you said, Chris, this is very much sort of Peter Pan as a vampire, they'd apparently been uh, kind of inspired by reading Interview with a Vampire and the Vampire Lestat. And uh, the character, I believe her name is Claudia in the books and movie, uh, played by Kirsten Dunst at the peak of her career um, as the 12-year-old vampire forever young. Um, But, you know, super old and and taking that and obviously like the lost boys being this um direct reference to peter pan's pack of of boys and then you know you have joel schumacher coming on and also bringing on uh jeffrey bohm as the rewriter and uh jeffrey bohm who will go on to uh write indiana jones and the last crusade uh lethal weapon 2 lethal weapon 3 um witches of eastwick so um you know he, he is really going to uh hammer out some some pretty big hits um pretty soon and arguably this is kind of the first in a string of those because it's got a budget of $8.5 million, but it makes like $32 million at the box office and then goes on to become this sort of cult classic? Question mark? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of at least in the the kind of 90s, it was one of the largest home video um, successes uh, rentals for for Warner Brothers as well. So there's definitely a, a big follow on to your point. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't even know that it, you could call it cult because it, it got so popular on home video afterwards. I, I think the the interesting point to your point, too, is like, you know, this is the starting point for a lot of people. Right. Like mm-hmm. um, this is an early film for Joel Schumacher. I think this is his third or fourth uh, film. And, you know, good luck remembering any of the ones before this. Um, I will also say this is probably one of his, actually it's his third highest reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes film. Uh, so there's two, two ahead of this, which I didn't remember either. Uh, and then this, this is his third highest on Rotten Tomatoes. So one of his more uh, popular, though perhaps uh, not most commercially successful because he did make some Batman movies, which uh, I will gouge my eyes out before I watch oh, them again. Oh boy, those are amongst my least favorite, not just my least favorite Batman movies, but amongst my least favorite movie movies. Yeah. Yeah. Ever I think made. maybe worth watching uh, again uh, on on this podcast just for the sake of getting some entertainment and playing a drinking game together. But um, it's not just, you know, Joel Schumacher and, and um, you know, some of the writers and stuff that went on from here. It's it's also a number of the cast. Right. Like the cast is made up of a bunch of relative uh, newcomers. Right. We've got uh, Jason Patrick. He'd been in, I think, one film uh, before this, along with Jamie Gertz. Uh, Corey Haim had been in like one movie before this. Uh, Keith, And let's not forget the Edison twins up here <laughs> in uh, in Canada. Uh, yeah. You know, Corey Haim, son of Toronto. 
Yep. And uh, uh, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland uh, reprising his role as Ace from Stand By Me, even though that movie wasn't out yet. Um, I mean, I think your your two probably most well-known actors in this were uh, Corey Feldman. Right. Speaking of Stand By Me, he just come off Stand By Me along with uh, Kiefer Sutherland, although it wasn't actually out yet, I think, uh, by the time they were casting for this. But I mean, he had a string of movies and was kind of well known for doing some of the Friday the 13th, Gremlins, Goonies, uh, and then it's Stand By Me and, you know, The Lost Boys. Um, and uh, I mean, this is kind of the movie where he and, and uh, Corey Haim become the two Corys, right? This is the first yeah, this is, movies this is that the they one. make together. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they make movies together for the next basically decade. Um, and then the, the other, you know, probably best known uh, actor in this movie is uh, Diane Weist, who had just won um, the Best Supporting Actress uh, Oscar the year before uh, for Hannah and her sisters, which is kind of amazing to then go from that into like a teen vampire movie. Uh, but I mean, it, it is definitely a cast of um, kind of relatively unknown or er- very early in their career um, actors. Uh, the thing I found interesting about this too was um, apparently the original budget for this had been about 20 million bucks. Wow, that is a significant cut. Yeah, well, and a lot of the cut came from Warner Brothers basically saying you need to get people who people know in this movie. Uh, and Joel Schumacher basically saying these are the people I want. This, these are the right cast. These are the right people. Uh, and then Warner Brothers basically saying, well, then you can do it for a fraction of the budget. Uh, so you went from twenty million down to eight and a half million bucks, like you said. Uh, but I mean, it still manages to you know pop, pop off as a bit of a surprise given the, the lower budget and kind of unknown names. It, it opens uh, at number two at the box office behind a James Bond movie. Uh, And like you said, made 32 million bucks. So it's, it's certainly, um, you know, even after you factor in all the, you know, marketing budgets and stuff that would have gone into this, uh, a pretty successful, um, you know, run in the box office. And then, like we said, you know, once it gets at home, uh, it's kind of a, a, you know, teen vampire movie that calls the teens to the eighties. Yeah. And yet being released in theaters, it still has pretty, I guess, mediocre reviews. Um, you know, Roger Ebert calls it uh, ambitious entertainment that starts out well, but ends up selling his soul and uh, very much style over substance. Uh, yeah. Variety, I think, calls it a, a horribly, horrif- horrifically dreadful vampire teen exploitation movie, which mwah, chef's kiss. That is that is great. But it's got a Rotten Tomato score of 77 percent. So it and we're still talking about it today. It, it has some some staying power and arguably kicked off like the hot teen vampire uh, subgenre. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I, th- I definitely think there's a, 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 you know, a lineage to this movie like we've seen in some of the others that, you know, spawns some other stuff, even if maybe this one wasn't the best. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, Michael. Now that you have uh, finally seen uh, The Lost Boys, how, how do you feel about uh, this movie? I think of all the movies we watched, this was my least favorite one. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, I wow. Think Empire Records saved again. Nope. <laughs> I think because I, I, I can really respect movies that are weird and swing for the fences and do something really odd. This to me, I... I disliked because it had nothing that did anything spectacular. I thought it was mediocre from the start to the finish. And and we'll get to a little bit about like the standout performances and sneak uh, review. I really, really liked the dog. The dog was amazing. <laughs> which which dog? There's two dogs in the movie. The good dog. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no. Right. The, the one that protects the vampire. I got it. Right. Um... Okay, uh, Evan, how about yourself? Uh, coming back to this movie after so long, what, what did you think? Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to quote uh, a, a good friend of mine here uh, to say, it was fine. It's fine. It, it, it's fine. It's, yeah, who, it's fine. Whoever that person was is a wise and intelligent person. It, so it's I fine. Appreci- it's, yeah. it's fine. Except it's not fine. It is possibly passable i would give you passable (laughs) but it's not fine fine is a word that is reserved for a different class of things i I think you need to listen to the tone there michael it's fine 
It's fine. There, there is a seed within this movie that had it been nurtured and tended in a different way, maybe could have been um, something I enjoyed very much. And we'll get into it. But I think that kind of pivot from a, a younger kid, you know, vampire movie, Goonies, or I mean, you could even see it like being like, stand by me, except vampires instead of hunting for a body, right? I think there's a seed here in this movie that could have been really interesting. But yeah, I'm kind of on the same same page as you guys where uh, I maybe could have left this uh, to, uh, you know, historical uh, remembrances as opposed to seeing it again. But and, and I think that that uh, Dave is with us on that. Uh, his review uh, being that, uh, this felt really rushed at the end, like in where the fun stuff, the promise of the premise kind of thing, like let's fight vampires actually happens. And that, uh, the movie overall, I mean, it's not bad, but it is really forgettable. I, I think I, that's the way I feel about it is that it's not bad, but it's very forgettable. Um, so before we maybe, you know, pick some pieces apart, why don't we take a quick intermission? You guys can all go grab your popcorn and uh, we'll be back on the other side to get into all the details of what we thought about this movie. Well, welcome back. So we're going to get into all the nitty gritty of The Lost Boys. Uh, and before we do, I'll give our traditional spoiler alert. We're going to talk about all the stuff. And if you haven't seen this movie, uh, we'll probably spoil it for you, uh, though. Perhaps that's maybe OK, given our initial reaction to it up front. But uh, if you're not familiar with what happens in this movie and want to listen along anyway, well, what happens? So. The Lost Boys follows two brothers, uh, that's Michael and Sam, who move to Santa Carla, the lovely murder capital of the world. Uh, and they encounter a gang of vampires led by David. Michael becomes ensnared by those vampires and is gradually turning one into himself. Uh, and Sam is aided by the quirky frog brothers, uh, and they embark on a mission to save Michael. So out of all of the movies that we have watched and perhaps ever will watch, is this the most 80s movie ever? Yes. Yes, 100%. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This movie from top to tail in its wardrobe, in its, its hair and makeup, in its soundtrack, in in every little tiny nook and cranny is like an 80s fever dream. Yeah. It is. I, I mean, I just I I think I had blocked out maybe just like how extreme it is in terms of like how big that hair is, how shiny that pleather is uh how <laughs> how motorcycly those motorcycles are i don't know but mm. uh, <laughs> it is it is so 80s and and all of like the 80s subcultures all out there on the uh santa carla boardwalk i mean it is it is definitely a feast for the eyes of for anyone who is like hey i got invited to like an 80s costume party yeah you know just like, go get one of these just, outfits and just you'd be go set. Get, watch watch the opening to lost boys yeah okay so counterpoint counterpoint it is yes, the please. most 80s movie that we have watched so far this doesn't even like Stack anywhere close to 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller, Breakfast Club. Like this is not anywhere close to uh, as 80s as those movies. It is a very, very 80s movie. And in all the ones that we've watched, because we've watched movies that are from other decades, for sure, it's the most 80s movies we've watched so far. But, but this is not representative. This is a ridiculous interpretation of the 80s that 
possibly only fits like one tiny little subculture thing. So I'm going to say no. I, I, I would I would say all the things you said, except for the part where you said no, because I think it just tries to like cherry pick all of the yes. 80s things and just ram it into a movie all like bigger shoulder pads. Yes. Uh, headbands for no reason. Yes. Big hair. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a mosh pit for some reason. Okay, yeah, uh, a uh, saxophone uh, player with no shirt on who's like oiled up and just jamming out. Like, when was the last time any sort of saxophone or I'd like this is like the era of Kenny G or something like all of those things make zero sense and like don't feel uh, right having lived through the 80s and yet feel like they were right because they were just rammed into this movie in the right kind of way. Like, they're yeah. ridiculous. I will argue that the saxophone does feel uh, organic to this movie because you have to remember that in the 80s, in every, like, big rock song, there was a sax solo. Like, yeah, we've, it's absolutely. something that we've lost. And, uh, like, the soundtrack on this movie, like, there is an excess there's uh, Echo and the Bunnymen. I mean, I think Schumacher actually goes on to direct a couple of NXS's videos. Yeah, he he uh, directed uh, um, Michael Jackson's. Jackson. Michael Jackson's? Thing? Oh, no, no, no. It's the director of photography who did uh, Bad. Like, mm. there's just all sorts of folks involved in, like, 80s culture who have their fingerprints in all sorts of, like, to your point, like, music and other stuff going on culturally at this point that are just, yeah. like... So I, I feel like there is like to Michael's point, like this feels like uh, kind of like weird self-culturing. But I think that you are absolutely right, Chris, in that it cherry picks everything 80s and shoves it like turns it up to 11 and shoves it all into one place so that like yeah. there is a poster of Molly Ringwald on the wall as well as I don't know a poster of sexy Rob Lowe maybe on yeah. like and and like everything is like there's neon and there's like big shirts and shoulder pads but also like love of rambo and <laughs> yes. like leather and punks with like really really big uh uh mohawks and like people with wraparound shades and like i i, I think we've we've come to some agreement that this is um uh, a weirdly disjointed viewing of the eighties. Our landing is perhaps in a different spot for, for some of us, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of eighties references cherry picked here, uh, whether it feels good or right or not. I mean, there's just a lot of them. Uh, definitely. Um, so with that in mind, maybe we can uh, shift over here and say, I mean, this is a very, uh, as we kind of touched on up front, like a new cast of of actors coming up. Um, I, I'm curious what uh, all of you think in terms of like the characters uh, and uh, the performances uh, that went into this movie. I didn't like anything about this movie, so it's hard for me to. <laughs> oh, I love that I this thought... is your something about Mary. Oh, this is so delightful. Yeah. No, it's worse because something about Mary, again, back to the swinging for the fences, they tried to do something. Here, I felt like they didn't try to do anything. So I didn't think anyone showed up to do a good job about anything. There was not a single character that I felt I connected with, except possibly for the Corys, because they at least tried a thing. Um, so like, I, I couldn't tell you that Kiefer Sutherland did anything. I couldn't tell you that uh, uh, the mom, like no one did anything. There's no one that stood out. That's why, like I said, it sounded like a joke, joke, but I thought that the dog was amazing. The dog was really good. I connected with the dog. That's a great He did a great thing. job jumping on vampires. Yeah. Yep. Super You're good right. job. And I, I'd be like, hey, good dog. Uh, let's, uh, I want to see what that dog does next. What, what movies are, are he's going to be in? I mean, after this movie, that dog got hooked on heroin. And anyway, <laughs> it's a sad story. <laughs> you know, I'm going to actually like, Call out and and this is something that that Dave brought up as well and uh, and I agree with him on this. Um, why, like, what happened to Jason Patrick? Like, I, I think he's gone on to do some television stuff, but he really kind of stands out as like this potential major '80s heartthrob. Why didn't he have like 
just like a rocket ride to fame after this movie. I like I'm genuinely I'm like genuinely wonder because he's like he's a very handsome guy being very brooding in this movie. And, uh, you know, he doesn't seem to really do anything after this, anything major. So I I feel like I'm going to repeat myself from a previous thing where I say part of the answer is he gets terrible lines, terrible uh, directing and uh, terrible acting. And he's not cast well because he's supposed to be what, like. 17 and he looks like 27 like I think everything he, I is think wrong was, about i think this he character. turned 20 on the set of this movie so he's not he's not far off i mean uh, 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 for me he didn't connect it just felt wrong immediately he's supposed to connect with this girl oh i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that like there was nothing about this that connected so when you say what happened to him i was like i think probably what happened to him was very consistent with his performance in this movie. I, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I, I think for me, um, you know, we talked up front about the idea of this, this having been rewritten from a, uh, you know, a preteen or a young teen movie to like a little bit of an older, scarier, you know, it went from a, a G or PG rating, which is what the original movie was up to uh, an R. Right. And I, I think there's the, there's kind of like, you can tell parts of these stories and characters were added or rewritten because it's the like you could tell the Frog Brothers used to have a bigger part in this movie, right? Yeah, uh, and, and like it got like scaled eight, down. Eight year old like chubby boy, boy scouts. scouts, right? Yeah. Exactly, right? Um, and you didn't necessarily have the same kind of story with the two brothers and whatever. I think this movie would have made, and probably the characters uh, would have made a lot more uh, sense um, in the like. You know, the, the Goonies, but with vampires kind of that was originally pitched. I could I could see myself getting into that movie or um, pushing this up into more of the like scary empire, like um, Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing where you're like, OK, cool. You're being, you know, chased by vampires. And I found just like the 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 characters were the same kind of like, well, we didn't want to get rid of all of it, but we also kind of wanted to like you know, make it older and sexier. And so like a lot of the characters I found got a really short shrift and either must've gotten cut back or like, you know, why is star in this movie? Like Jamie Gertz's character. Just to, yeah, I think just to add uh, a a love interest and uh, sexiness for Michael. I mean, you know, as, as uh, you know, Schumacher was saying, it's like, he wants to make it a sexy teen movie. I, I, I will, I will say the, the one performance I actually thought was, Good. I I thought Kiefer Sutherland was good. I mean, he's working with what as he's Ace. Got. Yeah. yeah, as Ace, as Ace. You know, fifty years later or whatever, thirty years later. Uh, you know, um, after he left uh, the 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 kids alive and Stand by Me because he was bitten uh, by Max and became you know a vampire lord in the you know California. There you go. Makes perfect sense. But I actually thought he was pretty good. He didn't have a ton of lines, but like. I thought he did a pretty good job of being a, you know, menacing kind of psychotic character. Again, Ace. He's also like he's he's magnetic to watch. Like Kiefer Sutherland has real presence on the screen. This is where I disagree. I think in Stand By Me, he was menacing because everything was underplayed. Like there was a thing and you were constantly thinking, where is he going to explode? Where is the thing going to be? Here, it felt to me like a character of that same person. And mm-hmm. I didn't believe a single thing. It was just like a constant, hey, I'm such a bully. I'm so mean. I'm going to tease you, whatever. Like nothing of that felt convincing to me. So it's a great actor. It just, to me, that felt false at every step along the way. So I, I, I actually... Do, do you feel like... Uh, that performance helps in kind of the like there's obviously like this kind of pure pressure, uh, so not not even subtext in this in this movie. And and like, let's kind of remember, too, like this is 80s America, like this is Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, just say noted drugs, Nancy Reagan kind of thing, like the youth are going to shit because they're messing themselves up on all these things. And, you know, I wonder if part of this allegory could be, you know, 
extended extended to that. I totally agree because the way that they arrive in this small town is exactly what you said. And it is a very 80s thing. They kind of go through this whole thing of showing uh, everyone looking different. Oh, look at these weirdos. Look at these freaks. Um, which is very consistent with exactly what you said. It's like, that was the era, that was the time. So therefore, he represents that very well. I have to look at this from the perspective of 2023, and it doesn't work. None of this works. If we're going to talk to people about, like, are you going to watch this now and enjoy it now? Then I have to say, hands down, it's terrible. And you can explain it and say, sure, it made sense from the perspective of the era, and you could talk about the Reagan era, but... Today, I think it is terrible. So, Michael, would you say that this movie uh, does a, a good, bad, or mediocre job of, of kind of blending the horror and comedy genres? I think it does a terrible job because it can't pick what it wants to be. Does it want to be a comedy? You could have done that super, super well. Do you want to be a, a horror movie? You could have done that very well. I did not enjoy the blend because the things that are supposed to be horror didn't scare me at all. And the things that are supposed to be funny didn't work for me. I, I'll say um, I, I don't think it did a good job of like trying to be, you know, uh, a whimsical horror movie either. Again, like Michael said, like, you know, it didn't pick a lane. That's the way I felt about a lot of the characters where either go with the younger or go with the older, like, you know, expunge the Frog Brothers if you're going older and make it a like real teen movie. Um, I, I mean, the the Frog Brothers who I mean, from what I what I was listening to was like Corey Feldman and, and Jameson Newlander had basically been given instructions to like go watch like all the Rambo movies and all the Chuck Norris movies and whatever, like be those guys. And like they weren't supposed to be, um, you know, in that they were funny. Right. They were supposed to be dead serious and it was supposed to be funny to the audience, except they're kind of not. And also, I don't feel like we can pass over the whole whole like Corey Feldman voice thing where he decided. You mean, you mean this voice? I'm, I'm going to talk you like mean a grown voice. I'm a I'm a kid who's running a comic book store using my grown up voice. Whoa. And like the number of ridiculous like lines that they have is just kind of verging on offensive as a viewer where it's like we've been aware of some very serious vampire activity in this town for some time. Like cool um and like i just there's so many lines in there where i'm just like that would have been really funny coming from like you know like we were saying like a, a, a eight or nine or ten year old boy scout but like when they've aged them up a little bit and like now they're like teenagers and like it's just not funny anymore it's like because we've moved into that that you know, older teen horror kind of space. It's not funny. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right with Michael. Like it, it doesn't land even the weird grandpa with the taxidermy and stuff. I'm like, I don't, I mean, you kind of overdid it. Yeah. I mean, I think that the fingerprints of the original script are probably like, I guess we're too indelible. Yeah. That, that they, they just didn't wash off as well. But I I wonder, um, you know, we, we we're, we're talking about like the 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 comedy and the horror, and um, you know, I mean, Schumacher himself said like people would be like, "Is it a comedy or a horror movie?" And he'd be like, "Yes." Um, so this is sort of what he was aiming for, but it also kind of reminded me of a kind of movie that isn't made anymore. And that is those kind of um, kid adventure movies mm. that push kids as the heroes into situations that are actually pretty life or death. Dangerous, yeah. And kind of beyond what they're, what, what they feel they're capable of, but they manage to get a win in the end. And so I'm thinking of like Monster Squad and Goonies and Gremlins and, and even Stand By Me. Um, I, 
I don't think that that kind of movie is really made anymore. Maybe that's because people are worried that kids are going to go and, you know, hang from bridges (laughs) or whatever. Cross the train tracks and all these movies. Yeah, cross the train tracks uh, and that kind of thing. But um, there was a a time when that was like a a movie subgenre in and of itself. Like the, like, like, let's call it like the Amblin subgenre kind of thing. Kids wandering into danger was more accepted. Even like never ending story where you're like, okay, kids wanders off on his own on this adventure. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And I think I really relate to this because we talked about this a little bit with, you know, stand by me had something to do with when you watched it. And you could relate to, I related to being a kid at that time. And I felt like I was part of their journey. And the reason I was able to see some really, really nice things in Empire Records was because I was there at that time in Toronto when Sam, uh, the record man, kind of had its um, prime. And, And there was that whole culture and I was there. In this one, like, I don't see the same thing. What you talk about, I think I see traces in things like Stranger Things later, mm-hmm. where you kind of yeah. connect and you see that whole thing around like the, the kids, that era, they're doing something, they have to go out, out of their comfort zone, they have to do something different. And I totally get what you're saying. It's just in this one, I just didn't feel it. I, I At every step along the way, I felt like there was an idea and yeah. they didn't pull it off. I, I totally agree. get that. Um and, but then I also have to sort of look at it through kind of like the eyes of a 12 year old in the 80s going like, holy crap, look at all of those like crazy punks. I don't see any of that in, you know, small town Ontario or, you know, in Nova Scotia or whatever. And like there are vampires, but not only that, this is the first time I've ever seen sexy vampires. And also there's like a very pretty girl and, you know, a hot guy and they're kind of going to get it on, but like, you know, the camera cuts away just in time. And then later on, there's like vampires exploding in the bathtub and there's like vampire skeletons. And so I think that even though today it's like every major blockbuster is aimed at 12 year olds, you know, see insert Marvel and or Star Wars and or DC movie here. Um, this really was kind of aimed at like 12 year olds and it was maybe a little creepy and a little sexy and a little funny and like felt like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't be watching this, but we are. And that to me maybe is why it is so fondly remembered and why it's sort of, made the cult class status. This is an amazing point because it strikes at the heart of the, for the people who like it, who grew up and watched it at the right time, they, they would say everything you said. If we're trying to tell people today about, should you go back to watch, to watch this thing? Is it still worth watching? I think if you don't have the context you just talked about, then I would say very, very strongly, no, don't bother. I, I think, you know, to that that point of who does this appeal to, I think that's where I'm in the like, who does this appeal to? Because it both goes high and low in terms of age. I would have loved to have seen the Richard Donner version of this movie. Mm. Like if he'd actually done the Goonies version, I think that would have been great. But I mean, uh, mo- moving on from, you know, this kind of mix of comedy and horror, like in terms of the horror setup or at least the setup for this movie of you know moving to santa carla and uh you know this new new place with you know murder capital of the world like how successful do you think that setup and and like the narrative of this film is well i i think that that santa carla plays pretty well as a as a character in and of itself i actually think that the that shot of like welcome to santa carla sign and then michael looks over his shoulder and as you go by then you see the back of the sign is all graffitied and it's like murder capital of the world i thought that that was actually a really effective shot and i thought that like that worked very well and the boardwalk um 
I also think is really interesting because it gives that kind of uh, like amu- it's always amusement park at night, which has just a little bit of menace to it. Right. It's just like, oh, this is when like the, the kids aren't really at the at the amusement park anymore. It's like this is when people kind of get drunk and ride the rides and, you know, yeah. get into yeah. dust. It, it, it's the kids who are too old to be trick or treating are still out trick or treating and you want to turn yeah, off your lights. It's <laughs> definitely that vibe. Right. And so I, and it's amazing to me that it's like, oh, this boardwalk has like uh, like everything you need on it, I guess. Like you can get piercings and leather jackets and go ride the rent uh, carousel tapes, apparently. and rent, and rent <laughs> videotapes and buy all the comic books. Also, Props to that comic book store. That is a very, very well-stocked comic book store. Um, but it's, it's. I, I think that that it really like runs this kind of, um, uh, like almost this funhouse mirror kind of thing. And I think that 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 is sort of done very well. I think that as as a location for this film it's one of the best kind of uh locations that they possibly could have gotten i i'll I'll say i i think the 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 premise the setup the first uh act of this um for me was promising uh because it's like okay um interesting we're doing something with vampires where the vampires aren't like you know some million year old transylvanian thing from an entirely different era like it's like okay cool what if what if vampires were modern and uh what if they were current and okay you've moved to a town that is okay cool i i'll buy into this like new place and shady stuff going on like i'm like okay for me it goes off the rail about a third of the way in when Mm -hmm. you know it's like hey david come with us like why are you going with them they're weird and i think they're going to murder you oh we're riding motorcycles now and i'm drink hanging out with you in your underground lair and i like all of that just stops making sense and the whole like middle third of this movie is a train wreck for me. I mean, it certainly brings up matters of consent because I mean, did anyone tell Michael that, uh, you know, what he was drinking was vampire blood and he's suddenly going to become a vampire. And also why does ACE David, 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 why does, why does the same character, uh, you know, want Michael, uh, to be of, a vampire too. There, there is a lot kind of, yeah, glossed over. Yeah, I, but I think these are two separate and related things because the first thing is so the introduction to the the little town, it works in the eighties because they wanted to kind of show, wow, look at these weirdos, and because there's so many weirdos in this town, therefore the vampires blend blend in. But if you watch this now. If you if you're of age to watch this now, you would say these are completely normal people living their life doing a thing. So that has not aged well to me. Like I think they go out of their way to show to show like oh we have people with tattoos, colored hair. Wow, look how weird they are. Therefore, of course, vampires could live among them because everyone's so weird. But it just that that doesn't work well to me at all. The second thing that they're talking about, like there's a potentially really interesting idea about the the old hotel, like in having fallen through, like that's an interesting thing that could have been timeless. That could have worked today. You could have done that supremely well today, but, but, but that's a different thing. So when the question around like, how does that work? The introduction, sure. They get the points across, but if someone watching it today, if you're 16 years old today, 18 years old today watching this, you might look at that and go, I, I don't get it. I, I think you could giggle your head off uh, at it. I, I, I wonder how like, you know, a 10 year old or 12 year old would, would relate to this movie. But like, I, you know, to your point, Chris, like, yeah, this movie has a very, very soft middle. Um, but there is like Pillsbury Doughboy song. Yeah. Like, like, whoo, 
Um, but there is something, and I'm, I'm guessing it's probably a holdover from the, um, kind of the Goonies aspect of it. Um, that I thought was actually kind of well done, which is, uh, Edward Herman as Max coming over for dinner, coming over for dinner. Yeah. And, um, but like the all of the seating of like the very first time you see him, the you know the lost boys come into his video store, and you've already seen them kind of swipe things and kind of be jerks, and he's like, "Hey, I told you not to come around here," and it's like, "Okay, cool." Like you're setting up this this character. And then, I mean, he is a little bit creepy and definitely like, okay, you are coming on way too strong to an employee. And there are some very, very problematic power dynamics going on at the moment. 1987. Yep. 1987. Um, So he comes over, you have that like, well, you're the man of the house. You have to invite me in kind of thing. And he gets invited in and then... All of the vampire stuff does vampire hijinks. Yeah. You can see his reflection. Uh, He likes garlic, all of those kinds of things. And then when he goes home, you get that aerial shot of like the that you've seen before of the vampires like grabbing their victims and his dog is snarling. And so it feels like, oh, okay, well, these, yeah, he yeah. told the vampires to like, I don't want you around here. And what did they do to the last person who kind of kicked them out, that security guard? Well, they messed him up. And all of that for then at the end, the big reveal to be like, oh, no, I am the lead vampire, like the head vampire. And the reason that things didn't work on me is because you invited me in. Like, I, I thought all of that were like, that was a nice little twist and it was fun. And I feel like, Hey, I want your mom to become a vampire to take care of all of the boys. You know, again, feels like it comes from a very different movie, a different movie. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that we don't see that movie Goonies with vampires. I, I, I could stand behind that. I think when you you look at this movie, the fact that you don't even see a vampire in this movie until two thirds of the way through uh, is like problem number one when you're talking about a teen vampire movie that's supposed to be scary and whatever. Right. You don't even see a vampire for the first hour. And this movie's only 90 minutes or like 95 minutes. So like, yeah, the, the pacing's off. The storylines are a little bit wonked out. Um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we take another quick intermission here uh, and uh, talk about some of the other things uh, that went into the making of this movie and how it wound up looking. We'll be right back. So one of the things about this movie, I mean, besides the giant hair, there 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 is a good amount of uh, you know makeup, prosthetics, special effects, camera work uh, that goes into this movie uh, to make our vampires seem scary. Is it is that stuff actually effective at making these vampires uh, scarier? I mean, there's a lot of uh, uplighting, you know, like taking taking a. Uh uh, a, a rose colored, uh, you know, rose or red colored, um, gel and putting it over the light and just shining it up. And I mean, you know, it, is it effective? I mean, they're not Nosferatu. They're still kind of, they're, 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 they're scary. They, they, you know, scary. I, I use lightly. They kind of remind me of like Buffy vampires. Mm hmm. You know, they're, they're just kind of like they're they're angry looking and they've got uh, fangs and, um, you know, and that's about it. And that's not bad. Like, I, I feel like, it, again, it kind of sets the template for like sexy vampires. Um, I will say I, I could not stand the aerial footage the the flying footage is so shaky and this was where i was like no shaky cam oh no i'm so glad we have drones now so i think in terms of the shaky cam i didn't mind that more it's more the inconsistency because 
you know, you demonstrated they're able to move extremely quickly and grab someone. And then later it was like, oh no, you're slowly approaching the victim and you're doing this and they're able to pull out and you're in the sun and Kiefer Sutherland's like, oh, I burnt my hand. Yeah, but like, he was just asleep. Up to that point. How fast are you when you wake up? You can see how sluggish they are. Like uh, Star, no, in that particular time, and I'm going to defend the movie here. Yeah, I mean, he, he was awake for a good 93 seconds. 93 seconds for a vampire is like incredibly quick. So don't, don't, Give me that. I, I, I will say that I, I'm I'm kind of with both of you somehow. Uh, I definitely agree that like, OK, a little bit of prosthetics, a pair of fangs, a pair of contacts, some uplighting. And then you're a vampire. I thought the first time you saw them as a vampire, like, oh, that's actually not bad. But the problem is you get that exact same upshot with the same lighting and the same over makeup and, over and the same and over and, again. And all yeah. the vampires would do is stand there and go, rah, 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 rah. But like to Michael's point, they should be fast, but they spend an awful lot of time when somebody pops up just standing there going, rah, 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 I'm a vampire. Rah. And you're like, like do something vampire. There's no, no, like, head to toe shots of vampires chasing people and disemboweling like it, all well, you that get would have cost way more money exactly they could have used the extra 12 million bucks because there's a lot of the like swooping down on people cam where you never like see the vampire and somebody's just like oh no something's coming or when he's fight uh, michael and david are fighting at the end and it's just swooping like handheld camera shots and you're like really like this is what we're uh, and if he's that fast, why isn't he just like gutting him in one thing? And he's like, it's right. just uh. we, we, we've seen several times that they were able to rip like an entire roof off a car. Yeah, they, they were able to do all kinds of things. And then later, like, oh, I'm having a hard time breaking through this thing or grabbing your leg. Like, it's just very inconsistent. But so, you know what? There was a there is a great death in this movie uh maybe one that that will be uh adding to the wall of fame someday maybe not but i really enjoyed uh vampire dying in the bathtub uh thanks nanook uh for knocking oh. that vampire into the bathtub and then i don't know like like vampire ooze exploding out of everything for some reason yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not how. It's not how plumbing works. Like, yeah, it's, it's especially given that the like. Yeah, exactly. It's not a tub full. that was draining in the first place. Yeah, yeah. The bathtub's full. This is a little bit like Star Wars, where like uh, Han Solo goes. That's not how the Force works. Like that. That it was just bizarre. That was just weird. Like it made no sense. So sure. You can nominate this death later, and I will shoot it down with all of my might. With that, with, will with never sticks stand. And, and silver bullets and sunlight and holy water, or death by stereo? Huh? One of the- I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking. I was thinking. I was going to kill it with Grano <laughs> in its sleep. Um, yeah, I mean, there there is not. Um, uh, you can definitely feel the lack of budget when a lot of the stuff gets repeated over and over mm-hmm. and over. Uh, a lot of the scenes where like, you know, Michael or the vampires are flying definitely feels like, you know, somebody or something just off screen is holding. Like you can almost see the harness that they're, you know, dangling off. It doesn't feel well done. Um, like it's just, it's not good. Even the scenes where they're, they're, like the motorcycle lights are supposed to be outside. You can tell it's just guys with lights in the bushes. Like it's just not very well done at all. All of that said, I thought the bridge scene was pretty good. I, you know, I, I thought like when they wave and just sort of like drop off and then he's like, what, what are they doing? And he looks down and they're all kind of hanging and he like struggles down to, to join them. Uh, I I thought that they uh, I thought that they did that well. I mean, that's some heavy mist that they've got uh, pulling around whatever dead man's gulch that is that the the train's going over. But uh, that was that was the most believable part. I think Michael looks like he's going they were to just like die. dropping you. Okay, so I'm coming from from the perspective of you know, is this still worth watching? And 
this scene is one of the most ridiculous scenes ever. <laughs> the, the fog, the mist is so unbelievable. The way that they drop, because the, the dropping is really cool. Because you go like, wow, of course they can drop because they can fly. But then you see them and you go like, no, no, no they dropped. And then they're hanging from these things under the, the bridge. There's no way that they could do that. Like the scene is ridiculous. It makes no sense. So, you know, maybe when you're like nine years old and you're watching this, you'd be like, wow, that's the coolest thing ever. If someone watched this now uh, as a grown up person in this day and age, I would say walk away, pause, <laughs> stop the movie, walk away. There's better things to do with your life. Like it, it is the most ridiculous. I agree. I, I hate it. I, I will also say that the, the, Think about that scene that makes all like zero sense is they're like, come on. My-. So number one, uh, all of the uh, vampire posse's lines seem to consist of Michael. Hey, Michael, come on, Michael. Yeah, yeah because, my- like, because peer pressure. This agreed. is a movie about peer pressure. They just have almost no other lines. But then they're like, so Michael finally drops off the bridge, falls through the clouds. He's like, looks around. He's like, wait, I'm not dead. Keeps falling, and then there is no explanation or moment where they're like, "Hey, you're a vampire." It's just he shows up back in his bed. He just wanders into his bed, and like, there's nothing after. He just falls, and then oh, I wander back into my bed. There's, there should no, be like I, a like, "Come with us, Michael. You can have insurmountable power." Like, uh, I think that there is a deleted scene there, or or that it's cut early, um, because I was reading. Uh, an interview with Kiefer Sutherland about it. And he was talking about how um, he thought that like that scene where Michael drops into the mist and he's talking about like, and then I catch him in the mist and we're, you know, I'm holding him and it's like, you know, it's, it's very homoerotic. And I think that that got cut. Maybe it was too much for the eighties. Uh, yeah. I, I, I will say it's, um, I hated the way most of this movie looked. The one thing um, that I actually liked the, about how this movie looked was I thought the the vampires um, were very cool looking. I thought they were very cool looking, and and so yeah, they were rock stars. Absolutely, and I think total rock stars. Maybe that's maybe that's a, a good point to ask. Like, h- how did you find the vampires in this? Uh, you know. Were they unique? How did they compare to vampires in other places? Well, I mean, they're, I thought that it was really interesting that they kept a lot of the sort of like classic vampire lore. So there's the stake through the heart's going to kill it. Sunlight's right. going to do it. Holy water, um, garlic, holy what water, works, all mirrors. Things. Yeah. And it was interesting to me that that they then subvert that for when Max comes over to dinner. Because apparently if you invite the vampire in, then all of those things suddenly stop applying to the vampire, which makes me go like, man, vampires should just go like get invited in places so they can like do their hair. Right. You know, and maybe that's how, maybe that's how the lost boys get their hair. So good. It's like, can you invite us in? Great. Now we got you use your mirror. Okay. Now we're going to murder you. Also the vampires in the final scene just bust into the house. So, you know, a little inconsistent. Yeah. But, but I think that the, from what I was trying to, and again, this is sort of like backfilling and apologetics, but I was like, cause like star flies in and she hasn't been invited in. She's not a full um, vampire yet though. Oh, that's true. That's true. But, um, it's that if you invite them in, then like you have no power over them they can do all of their, like their, you know, they can touch holy water and see the reflection or whatever um but if you don't they can still come in but like all of that stuff works on them and those vampires probably didn't have reflections i don't know i'm just i'm just putting it out there but what i will say is i feel like the this movie is like the shoulder pads on of this movie is what move vampire movies today stand upon I think this is a huge point. What you just said right now, like that's an incredibly important point. The same way that we talked about uh, a bunch of the movies um, that we've debated to say that they made other movies possible. And you have to give them credit for that. Like that is a big deal. Now, if someone came in, you know, completely blank today and said, should I watch this movie? I think you need to be very clear to say, hey, this movie on its own, 
it's not necessarily a good movie. You you might not enjoy it, but if you come in to kind of understand what role it played to do these things later, for sure, totally watch it because it was seminal in doing A, B, and C. But those are very different discussions. If we go back to this idea that, hey, it's Friday night, should I watch this movie? So you probably should not. But if you planning out to kind of say, you know, I, I really want to think about the importance of like, how did this evolve over time? Then this is a very important movie to watch to kind of see trace A to B to C to D. But that's a very different thing. If someone's just looking for like, you know, what should I watch? I would say stay away from this. This is not going to give you pleasure. You're just going to live forever and always be hungry for more human flesh and you will never be satisfied. Totally. Like, Are you saying this that movie. this movie gives people vampirism? Yes. <laughs> wow. Accurate. Um, I, I mean, I'll, uh, here's what I will say is, is, is um, I think this, the, the, this movie did something to modernize vampires, right? If, if you think about all the vampire, like nobody's wearing a, a big black outfit, you know, with a blonde cape and like a red cowl, like every version of Dracula that you've, you've kind of seen before. And I think th- this is exactly like that. It's the launching point into a new um, conversation or a new era of vampires. I can definitely see how you go from this to having things like, you know, Buffy, the vampire slayer, the movie, and then the TV show, uh, how you wind up with movies like blade uh, where you're like, all right, what are, what are, what are movies in a modern society? How do we do that? Um, I mean, do I think this movie is good? No, but like, can I see how the idea of like, Hey, there's something about, cool vampires that you know and you know dot 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 eventually the twilight series where you're like okay cool teenage or cool young or whatever vampire yeah okay i can see how that plays out and and that's something that i think for me was like the the interesting part because i i remember as a kid watching this having seen other you know vampire movies and like dracula is always like oh, i'm from a different place at a different time and you're like yeah i don't know uh but like this is like oh maybe there is really vampires out there and like it modernizes it makes and you know to your point earlier evan like for early teens or teenagers you know i could see that especially in the 80s being part of the appeal of like oh maybe there really are vampires out there and they're punks and they're whatever you know like be actually being there in the real world that being said i did not enjoy the way that they brought in most of the vampire tropes uh because kind of to what you were saying i found it was very inconsistent um and like okay you know we'll apply it some of the time but not all of the time and sunlight kind of bothers you but not always but some yeah like it was really inconsistent and uh, you know i don't know i felt that was slapdash but just the idea of like modern cool vampires definitely is a thing that i think you know carried on from this movie and and um uh, what's that movie? Uh, what we what we do in shadows even has what like shadows, yeah, yeah has references to like the the changing the rice into maggots or whatever mm-hmm. thing. Like there's definitely call outs that you know people still kind of carry on from this, which I thought you know it's kind of cool. In but you know don't watch the movie. <laughs> so so I think the general consensus amongst all three of us and Dave is that this is not a movie that we would say like oh whoa you missed lost the lost boys you you have to watch the lost boys i mean your life is not complete without watching the lost boys that this is an artifact it is interesting if you want like all of the 80s stuff in the same way that if you want all of the 90s stuff go watch empire records um which is really what i'm saying go watch empire records um but but uh if you are interested in the lineage of vampire movies important otherwise i i think this movie should probably stay missed Michael, you'd recommend this, right? I think Evan said it so incredibly well. Like that, that needs to be the the advice. It's like, so take something like uh, Metropolis, like the Fritz Lang movie. It is so incredibly important to understanding the future development of whether it's storylines, aesthetics, all of these things. Watching that on its own 
is probably a terrible idea, but to watch it in the context of a thing that you're trying to do is an amazing idea because it, it was so seminal in setting the stage for later things. So I think you said it really well. Like if this is what you want to do, watch this movie. It, it was one of those, like the first ones that set the stage for rethinking what like modern vampire would mean. If you just said, hey, uh, I'm scrolling through, should I watch this? I would say, please do not watch this. Watch something else. Your life will be better. You have more things to do. Um, but but yeah, like that's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. This is a, an, an absolute miss for me. Uh, I, I could see, you know, if you know what you're getting into because you either have nostalgia uh, for this movie, uh, you have super nostalgia for the 80s you want to know where vampire stuff came like sure but like it's like you know a pea-sized uh you know group on the venn diagram where and most other people are like a giant sun-sized like don't watch this and there's a little pea group of like okay yeah this is maybe for you but like yeah it's it's a definite miss for me and i'm guessing i already know the answer from both of you but like is this a movie that you're going to revisit i mean if i'm looking for halloween costumes from the 80s uh, I, I might freeze frame a couple of uh, shots from from the Santa Carla boardwalk. Yeah, you're going to go uh, as oiled up saxophone man, right? I mean, I did play saxophone all through grade school and high school. So, you know, I might go as oiled up sax man. So in, in my case, I paid uh, cash dollars to rent this movie. So I, I think I might still have like 14 hours left uh, to watch it. So sure, in the next 14 hours, will I watch it again? Because it's free? Actually, no. <laughs> like, I don't think I will seek this out again. Um, yeah, I I was... Um, I didn't remember it being good from when I was young, but I remembered liking it, you know? And, and so I was surprised at how much I even didn't like it uh, now. Definitely not a thing I need to uh, revisit anytime soon. Uh, and I think that's okay. Uh, and that's what we thought about The Lost Boys. Uh, we would love to know what you thought about this movie. Uh, you can always email us at how did you miss this at gmail.com. Send us any questions, anything you might want us to cover, what you thought about the Lost Boys, because I'm sure some of you loved it and want to burn us down. Uh, if you enjoy what we're doing here, do us a favor, take a second to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And we will be back next week. We're going to be continuing Scaretober, and we're going to be watching The Exorcist to see if this classic horror movie is still possessed by timeless scares or whether it should stay missed. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you then.